The Bible. The Bible. The Bible. It's the Word of God. Living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It contains all we need for life and godliness. And it reveals to us the mysteries of God. Join us for the next hour as we study the Bible and take your Bible questions. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. What are the Bible passages that make you think of the gospel, salvation through Jesus? I'm sure you might think of John 3.16, For God so loved the world. And maybe Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. There are a lot of passages that really make us think about the gospel, how Christ died for our sins. But today, on Exploring the Word, we're going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to talk about a very, very famous passage of Scripture that uh, we're going to talk about how it relates to the gospel. And it might be one that you don't automatically associate with the gospel, but that's what we're going to look at today. My name is Alex McFarland. With me is is Bert Harper. This is the American Family Radio Network, and the program is Exploring the Word. Hello, my dear friend. Good to be with you again, Alex. And as we go through the Good Samaritan, I am really anxious to do this Bible study. Um, I, I love parables. Uh, Jesus was magnificent, as you would know as a teacher, and uh, he would use these stories to convey truth that I, I think opens your eyes. But it also does one more thing. It draws you in emotionally. Mm-hmm. I learned this from uh, Dr. James Dobson, when he was talking about word pictures, and he would talk to Gary Smalley, and they would talk about with your children, what you want to do is tell a story to get them involved in emotional, uh, you know, transfer, let them experience that. In the Good Samaritan, you really do that. Jesus does that for us. We get drawn into this story about men that were too busy, and then the man that was the most unlikely hero comes to, to do his part and do what's right. Amen. So I'm anxious to look at this. The question is that started this is who is my neighbor? But when you look at the verses right between that, it's talking about what I must do to inherit eternal life. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So uh, it's not a necessarily a salvation uh, passage. passage, but the question that preceded who is my neighbor is salvation message. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So I think it sets up, Alex, this is my thoughts and I want you to expand on it. It sets up the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it does. necessarily share well the gospel, but it te- it sets the heart of the gospel. The, the heart of the gospel. And and I do want to say, folks, this is a pre-recorded program you're listening to right now, generally on Exploring the Word. We are live, and we get so many new listeners all the time. I want to just tell you a little bit about what we do. We go through the Bible, and we take Bible questions. Now, on a pre-recorded show, we can't take phone calls, but you can reach us on the web. You can like us on Facebook. You can Send in Bible questions, and uh, your uh, uh, word at afr.net is the email, word, W-O-R-D, at afr.net, and your Bible question might be, the basis for a future show. We do we do several programs where we do. We just answer those questions. We do. We do. You know, I was reading a verse the other day, and this is kind of the philosophy of the show in a way. Proverbs 25, verse 2 says, It is the glory of the Lord to conceal a matter. It is the honor of kings to search out a matter. Now, on Exploring the Word, we try to search things out, don't we? We do. And, and it's not that we, you know, know so much. It is because the Holy Spirit has, He enlightens us. He does. And here's the secret. Our desire is not that we would be the teachers forever, but that we would equip people that they would be teachers. 
Because the greatest teacher, if you've, if you've been born again, Alex, you have the greatest teacher living inside of you, first the John, Holy Spirit. Yeah, First John 2.27, the Holy Spirit is in you, dear believer. Now, talking about the Lord concealing a matter, a parable, let's talk a little bit about what, what a parable is, the, the literary style of it, because Jesus oftentimes would teach in parables, and that was one of the characteristics of the coming Messiah, and he would convey heavenly truth in a story form, right. really. And and we're going to get to this in Luke 10.30 here in just a minute. But um, let me say this, Bert, why is it, let me ask you a question, that something that can seem to be very, very easily understood, to some people it's just concealed. Bibli- I, clear biblical truth, people can it be It has to do with two things. It has to do you have the Holy Spirit in you? And what are you doing with him? Are you letting him reign in your life? Are you letting sin? Sin will cause things to be distorted. Yeah. Always. Uh, with sin, you're either going to justify what you're doing or you're going to confess it. Yeah. If you justify sin, actions or attitude, you got, yeah. you know, attitude is sin yeah. and an action and they affect one another. But if you do not confess them and make it right, they distort your view of life and scripture. So one of the things you do when you come to the scriptures is confess your known sins and say, Lord, open my eyes that I might see treasures from your word. And if if you're saying, I know I'm saved, but I'm reading the Bible and I'm not getting anything out of it, I I really would start with that, Alex. I would start with a confession of sin and say, Lord, I, I don't know any. Well, then you go say, Lord, reveal to me those things in my life that are wrong. Sure. And, and that's the place to start. And you might want to start with a, a version that is understandable, too. Yeah. Uh, I love the King James. You and I both love the King James. You use it even more than I do. Mm-hmm. And But I memorized all my scriptures that I memorized. I memorized from the King James. But every once in a while, you'll come across some, I, I would say, scriptures that are hard to be understood. So if you use a King James, that's good. But you might want to get a, a modern version that alongside that would help you. So exactly. those two things, confession of sin and understandable. Uh, get a version that can help you or a Bible dictionary that will help you. And it, I think God will clear it for you. Amen. And and it, it be really willing to seek truth and to change your life in light of truth. I mean, if you're reading the Word of God and it says, you know, be born again and uh, repent, believe, obey, follow Christ. Um, if we are allowing sin to remain in our life, first of all, if we're in a defiant state of unbelief, I mean, you can't know the Word of God till you really know the Son of God. But if you are a born-again believer and you've hit a brick wall in your Christian growth, open your heart to God because um, holding things back from God or being in a state of disobedience, the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life will be obstructed, it's, if not seized. Is, is stagnant a good word? Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, you know, it, yes, he's there, but he is limited. You, you, Hindered. You know, uh, people say, how can you limit God? Read over in the Psalms, and you said they limited the Holy One of Israel. Yeah. You limit the Holy One by disobedience. Get right with God. Get right with God and do it now. Well, let me give a little backstory of the Good Samaritan, because a lawyer had asked Jesus, you know, what can I do to inherit eternal life and uh, love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus gives him some things to do, but he, willing to justify himself, this is Luke ten twenty nine, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? But, but listen to this. Let's go back to verse 25. We're setting up the context for the Good Samaritan story. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this story, the lawyer that in front of a lot of watching listeners, um, he's come to the table with the idea to test 
or entrap Jesus in his words. I mean, his heart was not right from the very beginning of this conversation, was it, Bert? It was not. And what does Jesus do? He asked him a question. What is written in the law? Have you noticed, and this is not a bad practice today, when you are being attacked or someone antagonized against you, one of the smartest things you do is ask questions. Rather than make statements, ask questions. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And and he puts that puts the other person on the defensive a little bit. They've got to realize it. They've got to do a process of thinking. So uh, don't be afraid to ask questions, Alex. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Exactly, exactly. Let, let me read this. Um, Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and passed by. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, when he departed, he took out two pence or two denarii, and gave it to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come back, I will repay you. Which now of these three do you think was the neighbor unto him who had fallen among the thieves? And the lawyer said... The he, good Samaritan? It, well, no, he didn't. In verse 37, <laughs> he, he, he wouldn't say Samaritan. And he we're going to explain that. He said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Okay, there's a lot here. So, Bert, let, let's, first of all, let's ask, uh, who were the Samaritans? They were the people that were the rejected people who lived, you can't say, in the middle. Uh, they lived in Samaria. Mm-hmm. And in Jesus' day, uh, we find out Judah was Judea was south, yeah. Galilee was north, and in between was Samaria. Yeah. And they were a mixed uh, group of people, far as their bloodlines and everything. And pagan half Jews. Pagan, yes, and they were rejected. Some people were so uh, isolated from them that when they went from Galilee to Judea, they would cross over the Jordan River and go up per- by Perea, Mm -hmm. the other side, and then cross back over. They would not even go through Samaria. Because it was like a no man's land. It was. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. You know, what's interesting, they were descended from Shem. In fact, the word Samaria is is a form of the word for, you know, related to Shem. Uh, But because of marriage, here's the thing. Some uh, Jewish people would marry a Samaritan and convert to Samaritanism, if you will, which had a lot of different, uh, some elements of Judaism, some elements of paganism. Sometimes... It's a mixture. Yeah. By intermarrying or conversion, um, there would be people that would defect to either group. But let me just say the Jewish people and the Samaritans didn't have a lot to do with each other. They did not. They would avoid Jews, especially would avoid them. And this is, we got to go back when Jesus must go through Samaria. That's what yeah, the King yeah, James must needs go he through. May, must needs go through Samaria. 
And uh, they heard Jesus when he was leaving Jerusalem and coming north on his way back. If you remember when he was headed to Jerusalem, they didn't want to hear him. They were not the only ones that were biased. Uh, It wasn't just the Jews who were biased against the Samaritans. The Samaritans returned that to them. And sometimes we we don't understand that and see that. But it was a it was an agreement of hatred. Close you know, to it. it's almost like, um, okay, Jesus, oh, you seem to fulfill all the messianic prophecies. Uh, we we like what we see. We like what we see. But then suddenly there's the deal break. Okay, Jewish people, uh, the chosen ones of God, you've got to love, love your neighbor. Great. And who's my neighbor? The Samaritans. It's, you, you know, it's the gospel. It's also something of the Great Commission, which is, is the gospel. You know, there, there's that old saying, a bridge too far. Here's the question for all of us. And listen, this is I'm, myself. What is that thing that God would ask you to do that might cause you to say no more? I mean, are you willing to follow Jesus period, regardless of what the assignment is. I remember at a camp that I was at, we had to sign up anywhere, anytime, anything. Lord, I'm willing. Sometimes that anywhere is scary, isn't it? We're listening. You're listening to Exploring the Word, Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, and we'll be back right after the break. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. I hope you are praying for revival. Uh, this is a pre-recorded program, but Alex and I were in a meeting earlier, and we came out of that saying, you know, the hope for America is revival in his church. Amen. And the church gets so excited about Jesus, that they become missional and evangelistic more than ever. So we pray in that Exploring the Word is is one of those programs that's God using to call America back to revival. We're studying in the book of Luke chapter 10, a parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we've already read that. We've talked about the priest going by, the Levite going by. Uh, there's, uh, Hey, if you're preaching this somewhere, you can make a big deal on why they went by. They were either too busy or they thought they were too good or some other reason. But the ones that Jesus is wanting to answer is, who is my neighbor? Who needs the gospel? Who needs to hear the truth? And what are you going to do with it? And it's someone that these this lawyer that had asked him the question and those who had sent him, Pharisaical Jews, mm-hmm. they didn't like the guy that stopped and helped him. And so when Jesus asked the question, which one of these was a neighbor? He couldn't say uh, the Samaritan. He had to say the one who showed mercy. Yeah. That showed the bitterness that was between exactly. them. Wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. Well, let's talk about the gospel. But first of all, notice this in uh, verses 30 and 31. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who, listen to this, stripped him, beat him, left him half dead. Bert, uh, I see a lot of threes in the word of God. And um, I, remind, I was reminded of John 10, verse 10, where it said, The thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. The threefold work of Satan, steal, kill, destroy. Notice this. Okay, the robbers, they stole from him. They stripped him and beat him. They destroyed him or, you know, really um, took, took his, his health and his exactly. wealth and left him half dead. 
I mean, you see the the threefold work of Satan operative in the life of this victim. You do. And and he does that. uh, He'll do it with anything. He'll do it with religion, or he will do it with manipulation, or he'll do it physically. Satan does not care as long as the destruction is taking place, which death is the ultimate goal, yeah. to kill, steal, and destroy, and he'll make it happen. And I, I think that's a good analogy, yeah. Alex, that you would see this, him stripping him, beating him, and leaving him for dead, tied into stealing, destroying, and killing. Cause Satan wants to do that well, in people's lives, doesn't he? You know, in verse 31, it says, Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he opened up his goods to help him. No, it says he passed by on the other side. Okay, in this parable, the Samaritan is is Christ-like, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. But but let me just say this, folks. All of us, um, and I've got to be honest, when, when I am out, and after, especially after 9-11, and you would see Muslim people, and I mean, it really takes the Holy Spirit of God to, uh, for me at least, to love them. They don't have to just be Muslim. They'd be Middle Eastern. I know. Would suspect them of being Muslim. Yeah. You know, now sometimes we know they are, but they just have an, a Middle Eastern look. There's this caution that goes up. And yeah. and uh, so what are we going to do with Most this? of the Jews would have had contempt for the Samaritans. And we have to be, remember that um, there might be some Samaritans, quote unquote, in our life that God is calling us to love and to share the gospel with. Now, um, whether it's atheists or people that won't stand up for the national anthem, I'm telling you, that just about makes my blood boil, those people that won't uh, thank God for our country. Because both relatives and friends, I've known a lot of people that have given their their limbs and even their life for this country. But let me just say this, whether it's uh, a Muslim that you might suspect of, of terrorism or it's uh, a progressive who's anti-American and anti-God or, or whomever, we really have to remember that the Levite and the priest were God's emissaries, and they failed at their job. So in a way, what we're talking about, Alex, uh, that person that's a Muslim, that person that's secularist, win them to Jesus Christ and get them discipled, uh, that may be the best defense that we have. And an avenue for the gospel begins with love. It does. We Christians, if you're a born-again believer, you're God's mouthpiece in in your community. We are the the emissaries of the Lord. We don't want to be like the Levite and the priest that were called to be the hands and feet of God, and they weren't. Now, here comes an unlikely Savior, the, the Samaritan. It says that a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was when he saw him. So here's the victim who's been beaten, robbed, left in the ditch, half dead. He had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds. He didn't just look at the transition from 33 to 34. Yeah. He, he didn't say, I'm, oh boy, I'm so sorry that happened to that fella. Well, off I go. No, he went to him, bound up his wounds poured on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, said, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Okay, let's talk about some elements of the gospel. Number one is condition. 
The gospel is the story of Christ seeing our need. Our condition, apart from Jesus, is is what, Bert? (laughs) Lostness, uh, judgment. I mean, it is so far away, away from God. Separation might be the best word. Separation. You know, they talk about hell, and what's the worst thing about hell? Uh, I know it's the... I know he was tormented. I, I still think the worst part is separation mm. with no hope. Yeah. And as long as you're living, though, there's hope. And so here you have this condition, the gospel, seeing him. Jesus, one of the greatest words that you see in this story is compassion. When you relate this to Jesus and you see it started with what? After he saw him, he had compassion. Uh Compassion, Alex, is an active word. It's not just a passive word. You know, I've, have you watched those commercials about the animals that are, you know, they're not cared for and everything? Oh, yeah, very sad. Uh, that, that draws me in, and I understand that, and I understand people wanting to do something about that. What draws me more in is seeing those people that are, lost without Christ. Yeah. That it's not enough just to look and say, "Oh, I wish somebody would do something." Real compassion does something, doesn't it? it? It really does. It really does. And we are to see those around us that need a touch. The good news of the gospel is, you know, the Bible says Christ uh, looked on the multitude was moved with compassion because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. But it was because of their condition. Exactly. And I, I know yeah. compassion is yeah. I went ahead and jumped to number two, but it was because of their condition that Jesus had compassion. Yeah, And exactly. it's not just the out. It could be the up people that Jesus oh, had yeah. compassion upon because they're without Christ. Yeah. And it doesn't matter uh, if your spiritual condition is lostness. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor. You know, you're lost without Christ. And so it doesn't matter your station in life, whether you have a person of power or a person with no power. Your condition spiritually is separation from God. Well, so many people, because, you know, we're in America and the West, we're very affluent, we're so blessed. Uh, but uh, apart from Christ, we are naked, destitute. You know, we're rich and well-increasing goods, think we have need of nothing, and yet we're destitute. Sounds like a church there in Revelation. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about that, and I think about the fact that um, over and over, you know, the the kind of car we drive, the quality of car has gone up. The quality of restaurant people eat in, the average person. I mean, what we consider just um, basic middle-class living is what, in my as a kid, would have been the wealthy. I mean, we're really rich. But listen, without Jesus Christ, you're like the man in the ditch who's beaten, robbed, left half dead. I mean, our condition is destitution, desolation, hopelessness without Jesus. Now, the good news is that God sees. Uh, Christ saw our need. The Bible says one of the names of God, El Roi, the God who sees Jeez. me. Amen. That I want you to know one of the, I say tragic, funny stories is Jonah trying to run from God. And uh, he should have read Psalm 139 first. Where can I go? You know, you can't run and you can't get to the place where God does not see you. He sees you and he loves you and he cares for you. So it's the God who sees me 
But if you're trying to hide like Adam and Eve tried to hide, like Jonah tried to run, I mean, there's people like that. If you're one of those, you're not going to get away from God. God is going to see you. The desire is, God, may I see myself the way you see me. Mm-hmm. May I see others the way you see them. Uh, do you remember the song, My Father's Eyes? Uh, oh, I love know, that I do, song. too. I do, too, Alex. Got his father's eyes. Yeah. That, to it, see the world. Yeah, to see the world the way God sees the world. And uh, I, I have to admit, it's a struggle to do that because of my own bias, because of my own issues, but I can pray. But the more you pray and the more you try and the more you stay in Scripture and confess your sins, the more you will have your Father's eyes and you can see them. Point number two, compassion. The gospel was made possible because Christ had compassion. Okay, the Samaritan saw the victim of the beating and the robbery, said when he saw him, he had compassion. I got a call over the weekend from a listener who um, separated um, the couple is separated, and one spouse claims to be an agnostic, and said, "Would you pray?" And I said, "Absolutely." And I said, "Could I call them? Could I talk to them about wh- why they don't believe in God?" And the listener said they would get very angry. Um, it's better just to not even bring it up because they get just explosively angry. And I said, "Well, I I don't mind if you want me to talk to him. I'll definitely reach out. I, I certainly will pray. Of course, I will. But I would love to try to talk to him." And the listener said, "Well, the best thing to do is just to not kick a hornet's nest. Essentially, let me just say this: the most compassionate thing we can do is talk to our neighbor about their soul. A lot of people nowadays, Bert. And I want you to respond to this." whether it's an issue of marriage and homosexuality or conservative versus non-conservative or, you know, whatever. I mean, people today are very polarized. So a lot of Christians just keep quiet. Non-confrontational. Non-confrontational. Well, they're in the pulpits kind of like that. They are. That may be because we're, we're preaching it in the pulpit. We're practicing that in the pew. I want to say this, to just let's live and let live, let's not trouble trouble. That is not compassion. To let your neighbor die and go to hell without at least trying to have a conversation about eternity, that is not compassion. Friend, it, you might think it's a little scary. You're getting out of your comfort zone. But the most loving, most compassionate, most humane thing you'll ever do is talk to your neighbor about their soul. The word compassion literally means an up inside upheaval. It, it's not just a little tinge of guilt. It is a movement. And uh, I think what we've done, we've carterized ourselves so strongly that very few things move us. That's a good good word picture. And so God, I think reading the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, reading these word pictures, parables that Jesus gave and trying to do your best to to read it like it's the first time you ever read it. Have you ever heard of being gospel-hardened? That's for people that's heard the gospel and said no. I think we have become hardened because we've read so many of these Bible stories, Alex, that, that we know the outcome, we know them, and they don't move us the way they move the crowd that heard them the first time. That, yeah. I think one of the prayers of good Bible study is, Lord, 
let me read this passage like I'm reading it for the first time and, right. and, and, and watch and sense the Holy Spirit, what he does to you. I Amen. think that would be good for the Good Samaritan. Wow. Well, uh, Christ had compassion. The Samaritan had compassion on the victim, the certain man. And, um, you know, I, I've got to believe because Christ sees all things. He knows. He's omniscient. He has all knowledge. It says a certain lawyer asked this, and Jesus tells this parable, a certain man. Sounds like it may have been more than a parable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it it was something too. that happened. Okay, condition, compassion, conversion. The gospel is about Christ saving us, healing us, restoring us. Now, I love this. In verse 34, it says, The Samaritan went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, I don't want to spiritualize too much, but let me just say this. When, when you get saved, you turn to Christ. You say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord, I need to be forgiven. I do believe you are the Son of God. You paid for my sins on the cross. You rose from the dead. Lord, forgive me. Save my soul. A lot of things happen, uh, friend. The, the Lord comes into your heart and your life. Your sins are washed away. Your name is written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you. The Holy Spirit of God seals you. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God begins to guide and direct you. Um, your identity is now in Christ. His righteousness is gracefully attributed to you. So it is like um, we you know, are bound and our wounds are healed and we're uh, redeemed and restored. This, again, this is not telling a person how to be saved. But it is demonstrating how God operates in our life for a person to be saved. Yes. That's the whole idea. I think that is so important that we do that. We're not saved by doing good works. We're right. not saved by letting somebody do good works for us. We're saved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is a demonstration of how the gospel works, Alex. Exactly. That it first takes, how shall they hear without a preacher? That's right. We, we've got to see and we've got to be moved by the Holy Spirit to carry the gospel to them so there can be a conversion. You're listening to Exploring the Word here on the American Family Radio Network. Alex and Bert with you today, and we're going through Luke chapter 10. So stay tuned. We'll be back with more. Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Connect with Alex and Bert on the Exploring the Word Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. to Exploring the Word, Alex McFarland, Bert Harper. We're in Luke chapter 10. I do want to say, again, you can send your Bible questions to word at AFR.net. Something else to think about. Think about this, folks. Uh, separately and together, Bert and I travel and preach. We do some things together around the country periodically. And if you're interested in doing an Exploring the Word rally at your church, reach out to us. Give us a call, and we'll see what we can put together. And, uh, Bert, I know you and Jan do some wonderful weekends in we churches. We do. We do family revivals. Yeah. And, and uh, we do that, you know, not because we have all the answers, but we've lived our lives. And I, I can tell quite a few things that the men need to do differently than I did, yeah. Alex. Yeah. And uh, we try to, I, I try to pull it 
the covers off and let folks know that this guy that's coming is is fought some of the same issues that they fought, and yet there's victory in Jesus Christ. Amen. There's victory in your life, there's victory in your marriage, and there's victory in your family when Jesus Christ rules and reigns. I, listen, I don't care if it's a conference, revival, or a seminar, make much of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> That's the whole line, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, I love, you and I have said this, lose at anything else but win with your family. You better believe it. I mean, really. And so, um, if you and want, it is a battle. If you want Bert and Jan world. to come to your city, they are phenomenal. I've heard them. They do their family revival weekends. I travel. My uh, main thing that I do are, are apologetic seminars. We have, but they're evangelistic, Alex. That, they really that, are. Let me make sure they understand that. Yes, you defend the gospel, but you defend the gospel with a heart of love to reach the people that need Christ. And yeah. so really the apologetics is a tool for you to do evangelism. Yeah, exactly. And apologetics is the evidence for the gospel. Really going into our 25th year of doing these things around the country. And so uh, I would love to talk with you about your church, especially listen to this. We get back to Luke chapter 10, but helping your young people not fall away from the faith because so many young people raised in church might completely fall away from the faith or or they'll stay sort of with the church but become compromised in a lot of their There's beliefs. There's going to be a crisis of belief. Yeah. I, I don't care where you are. I don't care how strong a family you had, your church. There's going to be a crisis of belief, and it can come earlier to come late. Do I really believe the Word am, of God? Am I going to follow M- this book? Mine took place in college, and yeah. uh, I remember it well, and I— I came away. <clears throat> am I going to believe what this professor is is saying, or am I going to believe the Bible? And he didn't have a lot of <laughs> foundation for what he believed, and the Bible had all the foundation for Amen. what it's taught. And I came away believing the Word of God. Yeah. And uh, so there's going to be a crisis of faith. But Alex, you do an awesome job of helping the parents do that, but also the young people do that as well to deal with their crisis of belief when it happens. Um, you know, in Romans chapter 14, it talks about let every man be persuaded in his own mind. Um, you, you know, Bert, there's a lot of evidence for the Bible and for God, whether it's God's existence or the trustworthiness of the Bible or the historical reality of Jesus who rose from the grave. I mean, we could talk about manuscripts. We could talk about archaeology, mathematics, biology, chemistry, physics. We can defend Christianity from many vantage points. But here's the thing for me, and it was totally the Holy Spirit. But when I was in college, and I remember I began to get under conviction, and I began to realize I needed to get saved. I'd been to church a little bit, but I mean, I really needed to give my heart to Christ. God put in me a decision, and I thought within myself, I thought, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it. I really think you've got, there has to be a time in your life. There will be, Alex. That you plant your flag. Or a switch flips in your heart, and you say, look, I am going to live by the Word of God, Amen. period. That's it. Now, listen, we can defend it if somebody has questions from many, many uh, compelling lines of evidence. We can prove the gospel. But you've got to, in your heart, make that choice. Look, here I stand. I'm going to live Amen. for God. Amen. And, and it's based. They say, oh, that's faith. It's faith in facts. Yeah. And the fact is who Jesus Christ is. It's not faith in faith. 
You know, uh, no, that's, no, that's what, goodness, that's what no. a lot of them think, though. It's faith, faith and, and faith. faith. No, it's faith in Christ, faith in facts, and the history proves that Jesus was real. Okay? You know, every now and then people will ask me, they'll say, you go to all these colleges, you're around all these atheists, all these professors, do you ever worry that you might lose your faith? And I said, of course not. I mean, um, you know, because I know, and this is why it's important to sort of keep a spiritual inventory or a journey. Look, I know the change God did in my life when I was saved at 21. I know how he's been with me. He's provided. He's guided. I'm in his word, and I know him because I know what his scripture says. And so um, when it comes to our young people, and I want to get back to the Good Samaritan story here, but we, we can't insulate ourselves from all of the stresses and struggles and temptations, but there has to be some convictions that you embrace and live by. For Angie and me, I mean, we made a decision um, and I'll never forget, and I'm not saying that we're role models by any means, but we got married, little ceremony, there's about 10 people there, and we were going to go on our honeymoon, but we stopped at this little house. We, we were renting a little house, it was about 800 square feet, and we went, before we went off on our honeymoon, um, we stopped at our house, and we stood at the threshold of the door, and we said, Lord, uh, for the first time, we're going to walk into this place as a married couple we consecrate and we give it to you. We prayed over the house and the checkbook, and we said, Lord, as long as we live, you will be the Lord of our life and our marriage. Alex, let me share. What a testimony. And it doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean, okay, man, Alex and Angie did that. They had it made the rest of their life. No, <laughs> Not life, always. No, life is full of ups and downs and curves left and right, and some of them are pin-hook curves that will throw you health issues, financial issues, uh, you know, you know, vocation issues. Family. Family issues. Stress. You've had to deal with all of them, haven't you? Little even bit. though you, Even though bit. you and Angie prayed that prayer, you yeah. had to deal with all those things. But, but friend, here's the deal, uh, and this does relate to the Good Samaritan, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute, but you have got to— Plan your convictions before the heat of the battle. Um, you've got to decide today, I will follow Jesus Amen. Christ. His word is my standard, period. Because uh, emotionally, when you're in the stress of, of a crisis or you're tempted, or let's say you're on a business trip and you're away from home and you're sort of unsupervised and Satan comes with a temptation, listen, you have to have your convictions set before the moment of testing. Uh, now, because it's, it's hard. And, and I tell young people, look, if you sit under your college years and every professor you've got is a pagan, um, you ought to be okay if ahead of time you purposed in your heart. Sound like Daniel. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, look, apparently this Samaritan, and I believe you'll see him in heaven. He had a good mom and daddy who taught him some morals. The, the Samaritan comes along, sees the man who probably was Jewish, who had been robbed and, and mugged, and he has compassion. And he moves, and there's healing, just like there's conversion in our life. Then there's consecration and a setting apart. The gospel, amazingly, gives us status within God's family. Now, this is very significant. 
the Samaritan takes the Jewish person and he sets him on his own animal. There's something about a, a man's livestock. I'm going to let you ride in my car. Everybody's going to see us together. Did you know traveling is one of the most intimate things you do with someone? I mean, we're True. talking about conversation. I mean, eating with them and then traveling with them. And so you don't travel with someone like that and not have this consecration, this idea of letting, letting each other in on each other's life. Life on life transference. Yes. So, um, and this was very visible. Okay, the Samaritans and the Jews are duty-bound to hate each other, and yet he's letting, he's probably leading the animal along while the wounded man is, is up on, on the beast, takes him to an inn. Now, we're talking about consecration being set apart. Took care of him. Okay, I want to talk about three things as we sort of wrap up. Um, ecclesiology, eschatology, and the Great Commission. Now, ecclesiology relates to the church, the ecclesia, the called-out assembly. Eschatology, Christ's return, where he settles his accounts. We don't know everything about it, but we know he's coming back. We do. And then there's a mandate for us to get involved. All right, now, let me just say this. And again, the gospel and the Good Samaritan takes him to an inn, says to the innkeeper, look after this guy. Here's a guy. I've, I've rescued this guy. Now I'm going to hand him off to you. Is the inn, in a way, almost like the church? You, you, when you look at that and you parallel it with that, the answer would be yes. The church, you know, I was it, uh, you know, Briar Rabbit, and he had was it his Happy Place or Laughing oh, Place? Oh yeah, yeah, in the you, Uncle Remus story. Uncle Remus yeah, story. Yeah, sure, sure. I, I've thought about the church. If I was going to call it anything, I'd call it the healing place. Amen. The healing place. You know, it's not, the church is not a museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. Amen. That's a cliche, but it's good. But it should be a healing place. This guy, yeah. he brings him to the end to do what? To continue to be healed. He's been rescued, right? He's yeah. been rescued, but the healing process continues. That's what happens in a church, Alex, uh, with, with people. There should be this continuing process of healing. The rescue was an event, right? Yes. But the healing was what? A process? Would uh, yeah, you say that's that? That's right. Okay. A continual consecration, sanctification. And the innkeeper uh, is like a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a mentor or an elder or a deacon who, uh, as they say, quote, takes care of the man. And so, folks, think about it. Um, the Samaritan is like a soul winner, um, helps the Believer get in a church where they can grow because, you know, there's not just the the moment of salvation, but there's this journey of Christian growth. Amen. And and really, in a, a sense of eschatology, there's the final point we want to make, the consummation of all things, where Jesus says, I will repay when I come back. The Samaritan is going to come back, and he says, look, here's, here's some uh, substance, here's two denarii, Anything you spend, I'll reward you when I come back. And that's what's going to happen one day. We'll stand at the judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Yes. And it really is a place of rewards, a place where God will hand the rewards. Hopefully you'll hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Guess what? I'm going to make you master over many. Yeah. Now, I don't know everything how it works in heaven, but I do know 
that just said, I'll repay, I'll take care of any of the expense, I'll reward you for your efforts when I come back. It is a picture of what Jesus Christ wants to do in our lives uh, as at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, the gospel, friend, is so special, it's so magnificent, and it's so personal. Uh, Max Licato tells a story of a friend of his that went to Disney uh, World or Disneyland, and there at Cinderella's Castle were all these children, and suddenly a hush comes over the room because into Cinderella's Castle walked Cinderella, character playing Cinderella. And all the kids were on her, you know, uh, jumping up and down, they wanted a smile or to make eye contact or to, to be touched, you know, by Cinderella. And Max Licato says, way over on the side of the room, all alone, was a handicapped boy and couldn't tell what his age was. His body was kind of disfigured, but there's this crowd of kids, but way off alone was this boy. And Max Licato said he had a look on his face like he wanted to meet Cinderella too, but he apparently knew what it was to be rejected or feel alone, but suddenly something happened. And Lakato says, don't you wish Cinderella would have seen him and gone over to him? And that's exactly what happened. Cinderella was waist deep with all the other children, but she left the group, crossed the room, went over to the little handicapped boy and knelt down, smiled at his face and gave him a kiss on the cheek. And he said it was a very moving thing that the princess in the castle went to the one that was estranged. He says, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Not a princess in a castle, but the true prince of peace. And rather than the handicapped, alone, estranged child, I mean, that is us without Christ. And yet, Cinderella gave only a kiss. She gave what she had. But Jesus came and rescued us. Now listen to this, folks. We're almost out of time. What if Cinderella could have said to the little boy, not only do I smile and I greet you, not only do I give you a kiss and welcome you, but I'll take your deformity. Your handicap I'll take and you'll be healed. She couldn't say that. But Jesus did that for us. Second Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The Samaritan healed the wounded man, but couldn't take his pain away. Jesus can not only save us, he takes our deformity on himself and leaves us whole. That's what Jesus has done for us. It's, it's the most amazing story. And when you see the Good Samaritan story and you see who is my neighbor, let's go back to the question where we started. If I see Jesus in this, And Jesus is telling about this. It should move our heart. We should be moved with compassion. Because the Lord said, go thou and do likewise. He sure did. Alex, thank you for this. I I appreciate it. Sin, man, it does its work of, of killing and stealing and destroying. But Jesus Christ does a greater work, doesn't he? That's right. You're listening to Exploring the Word. Bert Harper, Alex McFarland. God bless you. And thanks for listening. We want to encourage you, go to church Sunday. Take somebody with you that can hear the gospel, needs the gospel. Tell somebody about the program, but what, Bert? More than than anything, tell everybody you meet about Jesus Christ and His amazing grace.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.